More TV superheroes, just what the world needs. Warning. DC on R&D, the Doom Patrol edition, contains adult language and discussions, as well as the occasional sexually explicit joke, and from time to time, some crude and off-color remarks. If you're easily offended, don't continue to listen. And then go fuck yourself. All right. Hello. Welcome, everyone, to DC and RMD's Doom Patrol edition. You can find this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search DC on RMD Doom Patrol edition. Or if you want access to all of our DC related content, just search for our main feed by typing in just DC on RMD. Now, our preferred place for you to listen is iTunes because we need those ratings and reviews. It does help us get to the next level. It triggers the algorithms needed in order for more people to find our show. So please be sure to give us a five-star rating. Okay, so I'm in the studio with Just Dave today. Hello, Dave. How's it going? Okay, so you and I are going to be talking about the fourth episode of season three's Doom Patrol. Very interesting episode. Yeah, titled Undead Patrol. The synopsis, the newly undead members of the Doom Patrol are inspired to work on themselves. Later, the team is rocked by the arrival of a mysterious woman. Wait a second. Is this the wrong synopsis? <laughs> no, it's right. To... No, 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 it, it is. is yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Later, the team is rocked by the arrival of a mysterious woman on a time machine and a former foe. That's a bit of a spoiler because I don't think anyone actually knows that yet. Shame on you, synopsis is. is. Exactly. Okay. Bad synapses. Yeah. All right. So this episode was written by Tamara Betcher and directed by Kristen Wendell. We were given, I would say we were given a reprieve from the more deeper aspects. So far, we are what? Four episodes in and the first three episodes of the season were really, really deep in the ways yes. of emotion. Some very dark elements that we are sorting through and of course that's to be expected with a show like doom patrol yeah but we need those moments of levity in order to give us a break because as i had i've said numerous times this show can give can put you in a, a bit of a morose funk at times so having an episode like this come in it gives the the much needed levity that the audience may need and then we could just have an episode where we learn a few things and we laugh a lot. And that's definitely that something that this episode uh, focused on doing. Not saying this. I'm not saying the story didn't move because I just said it focused a lot on comedy. So I'm not saying the story didn't move forward adequately because yeah. it, it did. Uh, the narrative was designed to move the story forward, but there was a heavy dose of satire into interweaved throughout. Oh, absolutely. I, I think that while I think the only really dark, there was only one dark moment in this episode uh, that I could say that continued that somber tone mm -hmm. was everything dealing with, you know, Vic and his dad. Yeah, so that was, that was yeah. messed up. And, you know, I do wish Paul was here because last episode, dude, we were talking about if Vic's dad was keeping secrets from him. Yeah. That's, this is the big point. Yeah. I think that this is the one that breaks him. And that in itself was the only dark moment in this whole episode that was surrounded by like some of the, be I, I will say this, some of the best humor in, in Doom Patrol this season. Yeah. 
Like I love, I love the humor that they used in here. I like the, 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 the sight gags and the, the uh, definitely that final battle scene was funny. Seeing the undead patrol battling <laughs> where butts. Yeah. There was, there was good things going on in this episode for sure. In fact, this episode inspired me to come up with a new bit that we need to do every single week when we discuss an episode we have to start a new thing where we actually talk about our favorite or say funniest curse words or curse phrases <laughs> of the of the episode because the cursing this show is what really makes me laugh. I think I think we need to start a new bit on the show where we oh each, man, there's so many times where we each share our favorite curse word or phrase in every episode because in this episode for me. It was when Cliff was talking to the therapist online. Yes. And just yes. the way he talks, it's so uneducated. It's so just utterly revealing of who he is as a person. When he says, first, my legs started fucking up. Then my hands started shaking like fucking jello. I thought it was just shitty craftsmanship by the shitty scientist that built my body. But then my buddy Cyborg scanned my shit and said, it might let <laughs> my brain <laughs> is fucked. It's <laughs> And yeah, exactly. And the therapist's face was my face. It was so great. Oh my god, dude! Like Cliff's dialogue is some of the best in uh, in various of these episodes. Mm -hmm. It's some of the best highlights for me because it they really get the character of Robot Man being so rough around the edges. But it's just not because of his robot appearance. It's the person inside the robot. Yeah. It's it's Cliff himself. That is just that down to, I, I'm going to say down to earth redneck. Oh yeah. That, that just basically you go, yeah, I expect to hear that, for, that type of language and tone. He's just very basic. He's so basic. Yeah. So if we end up doing this, it's going to be a competition. I'm sure every episode between Cliff and Jane. For sure. Oh, Jane, yeah. In fact, before this show had aired, I would say the best TV show for cursing was either, oh, no, there's three. Deadwood, Spartacus, and Dexter. If you remember Deborah Morgan, the way she cussed all the time was fantastic. She would come up with the most, well, <laughs> not her, but the writers would come up with the most ludicrous ways of saying certain things. Almost always utilizing the word fuck. Oh, yeah. And that's what they do with Jane and Cliff on this show. Well, if if my choice, my choice, for, if, if I had a choice, this one, the one that sticks out to me is Jane's dialogue during the fight scene as as she's undead <laughs> talking about how to kill the whereabouts. Yeah. And she keeps saying to start eating ass. <laughs> and I'm it's like, so that, stupid. that was so stupid, but it was so genius. Yeah. Well, that whole zombie thing where they, where you get subtitles for their zombie language, I thought was funny. It was hilarious. Yeah. That was a cool, that, that was actually clever. Yeah. Most of this episode hinged on the comedic value because there were some things off functionally with the writing, there were things like the werebuds that came out of nowhere. Why and how <laughs> they got involved at this moment seemed incohesive with the rest of the season so far. Yeah, they just can't seem to come out of nowhere. And I'm like, going, how do you miss all these werebuds 
everywhere. Now I can understand it's a TV show. There's a, some like suspension of disbelief. Yeah, but I'm just talking about the logics of writing. It just felt like we missed something, so I yes. had to go back and I I double checked, I rewound numerous times to see if I missed a bit of dialogue about Darren Jones showing up, but no, I didn't. One minute Willoughby has a, has Niles. Niles head. I should say had Niles head. And then the next Darren Jones, the ex agent of the Bureau of Normacy has the head. Yeah. And then, not, uh, and Willoughby just shows up and basically just tells them, Hey, this guy stole his head. I need your help to get it back. Yeah. It was just a bit incoherent in the ways of writing the episode, in my opinion, probably could have benefited from a rewrite where they possibly added something about the butts. Even if we saw the butts eating someone in the woods, like at the opening teaser, something that would bring this together in a way that doesn't feel plot devicey. It felt like this was just a plot device element so that we can have a funny fighting scene. And that was it. That, yeah. And if they did that rewrite, that probably would have helped with the funkiness of the writing. It's just that little bit. It just felt a little odd and out of place, to be perfectly honest. It felt, this is the one time that I felt, and on my notes, I felt like the whole wear butt element was forced. It was forced just for laughs. Now, I could be wrong. We could see them come back and, you know, whereabouts might return, um, especially since you have that character from the Bureau of Normalcy. And now we know that, you know, maybe the Bureau of Normalcy is not done yet. And you got to remember that Bureau was introduced, I think, last, not the first season, season one, and then they disappeared. And then we had season two with the Candlemaker when we come back, it would make sense that the beer of normalcy would actually still be around Absolutely. because they're not done with them yet. Yeah. See, so that's not the problem. I will say I'm glad that they used, if they were going to do something like this, I'm glad they used someone that we are familiar with. But that being said, there's something about the mechanics. It, something is off within the writing. How did we get from a to B? We don't we don't have we don't that know. we don't have that information. And I feel like with a scene like this that that hinges on this moment pertaining to Niles' head and then the realization that they're going to have to eat his head in order to cure themselves, it feels like you needed something a little more thought out for something like this. Yes. So that's and, all I'm saying. And and on top of that is like we never really got an answer of what the heck was What's his point? What was Willoughby's point of taking that? He head? just not Willoughby. Well, yeah. So because think about it, we never even got that answer. Willoughby just tells them that hey, this guy took his head. No one, and and the thing that kind of I was trying to figure out, no one questioned was Willoughby had the head, and no one questioned. Well, it, it made sense when he said, "Do you know how much arcane knowledge is in this man's head?" I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Let's keep this man's head someplace and we can use it as a little bit of a, a mythos Rolodex whenever we need something, you know, like in the ways of assistance or information, whatever it may be, just like 
you know, Niles's part he played in the previous two seasons. That would make sense. But then we were not quite sure. Now, I don't want to skip around too much because yeah. then a lot of my thoughts will deteriorate and also be inco- incoherent. So I'll get back to this a little bit later, the whole head thing, because I do believe there's a point to it in terms of story. So that part I didn't quite have a problem with. It is strange that Willoughby simply wanted to talk to his lover. That part is strange, but also this show is filled with a lot of strange what the fucks. So I'm willing to swallow something like that. All right. So the undead patrol, uh, there was a scene when the doom patrol had fully transformed to zombies in the hallway and the cinematographer or the director decided to do this vertigo shot on Madame Rouge and then another on the Doom Patrol. And it made the film geek in me very happy. Oh, I, I figured. I love that shot, too. Yes. It was a very subtle one with Madame Rouge. Yes, it's very Hitchcockian. That's the type of film convention that was utilized in Alfred Hitchcock's Cox films. But also it was used a lot in the 70s and 60s exploitation era as well. They started using his, I don't want to call it patented, but his iconic camera movements. So to see a zombie movie, uh, essentially using these types of things were cool. Oh yeah. Because it's very reminiscent of also like George Romero stuff. Like when I saw some of those shots, I was like, especially the zombie shots, it kind of got me giddy because it showed that they, at least the cinematographer understood how to really give the vibe of a, of a zombie film. Right. They right? knew the semantics of a zombie film. What is exactly. required? If you're going to dabble in a genre, make sure you know the semantics, the things that make up that genre. Oh yeah. And even as they're, even when they became fully, fully zombified, I have to say, I really love the effect works that they added on to every single member of the team down to even a zombified robot man and a zombified negative man. Because I'm like going, how do you zombify a robot? Sure enough, when you get the final stage of cliff robot man as a zombie, I'm like going, that was freaking cool. Yeah. You know, they added, gave him more of a decayed look. They gave him a rusty look fiddled with his eyes and everything. And it really gave the vibe of a mechanized zombie. Yeah. And I really give them props for that because that's much harder to get because a lot, I've seen so many, so many bad, bad zombie films, Mike. I'm, I know and you've made a few. I made a few and I've seen so many people try to do techno zombies. And it, remember zombie manners. Remember that one? <laughs> that was, and, and, you know what the problem the problem with like tech zombies is you just don't make them look like a zombie they just look like a mess yeah. but here they actually got the look right yeah. I really loved especially when robot man when he's chomping on brains and you see his jaw just flapping and it's clanging mm-hmm. oh my god dude that was actually really cool yeah it was clever to see all the different ways they utilize the zombie effects on each character to fit who they were. The only thing they missed was why didn't we see a zombie blob? 
That's the only <laughs> thing I was waiting for. It you to were happen. waiting for it, weren't you? When they were fighting in the barn. I was waiting for her to just blob out into a zombie blob. That would have been yes. fantastic. Yeah, same here. I was actually going, you know, Rita's been kind of normal, a normal zombie. We haven't seen her powers at all. And it makes sense that basically, hey, Jane looks like a zombie in a human, human form. And yeah, she's not going to be able to use her personalities while she's zombified. <laughs> she just can't. But Rita, on the other hand, if she's a zombie, she doesn't have control of herself, meaning she should blob out. <laughs> and that, that that was one of the things that did kind of uh, was one of those for I, me, I the script it. moments I, that I wanted. I wanted to see it. I mean, and I felt that just continuity wise, it would have been great. Yeah, it would have worked. Also, we should have seen. Look at here. We're being a little um, handsy uh, entitled fans now. We should have seen this as well. But seriously, we should have seen the underground as well. Zombified. Like what happened in the underground when Jane got <laughs> zombied? That's a good point. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen that. That all those personalities as zombies would have been very interesting. I mean, it would have been cool to see her actually go through like cycle through them. Like each of them come out in a different version of a zombie at some point. However, then at that point. The question becomes is how is Gene in control as a zombie at that point? Yeah. It could also become very convoluted. So probably that, they that probably was probably made, the best. Yeah. They probably made a, <laughs> a decent decision there without a doubt. All right. So I like seeing Willoughby. We had mentioned him briefly at the top of the show. Absolutely. I love Mark Shepard. I think he's an amazing actor. So anytime we get to have him in anything, it's fantastic. But also a character like Willoughby which is right up my alley in the way of DC comics Seeing him fight with his fire sword again was fun. But it also made me think about a few things that doom patrol does very well. We talk about the writing a lot in the show and the humor and the, you know, deep look it takes into the human condition, you know, trauma abuse, all of those things. But another thing, aspect about this show that I feel sets it apart from the majority of other shows. A character is very rarely ever dropped into the story just as a plot device. And I know that might sound a little contradictory based on what I said about where butts, but once I finish this thought, this will make sense. Harver and his team, they typically add something of importance to their story and or characterization with every single character they bring into the show like with Willoughby with his initial introduction, we saw a glimpse of his childhood. Yes. With subsequent episodes, we were given bits and pieces on his relationship with Niles and also this ongoing bit with his lover, Bamphamet. 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 So that's something this show does very well. When you look at all of these guest spots, they all are given something. Look at last week's episode with the, dead boy detectives. Yeah. Even if that wasn't a backdoor pilot, they gave us enough to understand for the audience to understand their motivation. Yeah. And you look at every other character they drop on us. They give us something, even if it's just a quick 10 second flashback that helps us, that informs the audience in some way of motivation or potential motivation. Well, also in sticking with personality and characteristics too. I mean, like, I love that very end when 
when they defeat the Whereabouts and Willoughby's really quick and wants to leave and Madame Rouge or Laura, uh, Laura is actually um, asking, well, what about them? And Who's he Laura? made these are basically it's Madame Rouge, but I is think that her, her real name. Yeah. Her real name was are something you, DeMille, Laura DeMille. Are you, uh, are you pulling some comic book knowledge on us right now? No, 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 no. It Did was actually that. Yeah. It was in the episode. I thought, don't remember that. I thought they were just calling her Shannon cause they didn't know her name. <laughs> no, they actually did find out that she. Uh, did you watch like her, her hair, David? I no, it was in this episode. <laughs> it was in this episode. I know that. Okay, I believe. I do believe. I'm so, just giving you shit. <laughs> I've been trying to be good, Mike, this this season, but like the whole thing about you know Kipley just not caring about this team. Yeah. Where he just basically says, ah, fuck him. <laughs> just wants to leave yeah. right away. That's the Constantine part of him right there. That is the Constantine part, but that is also brilliantly that character. That is that, that character's personality. He does not care. He has no attachments to We people. learn so much about these characters. Because think about it. We've had Willoughby in, what, four episodes maybe? And we feel like we could almost understand him in some ways. Obviously, he's lonely. The fact that he's longing after this Bamphamet. He's a lonely individual. We always see him alone. He has trauma. I believe it was some type of abuse from his parents. Yes. So we know enough to see why he is the way he is. He's obviously jaded. He's insecure. He's unable to share feelings. That's why he uses Niles's head. Yes. To talk for him. I mean, it's so fucking stupid. That was like a uh, a second grader. Hey, can you go tell uh, Lily that I like her? Why don't you tell her? No, you tell her for me. For me. <laughs> <laughs> and and that speaks so much to that character's personality because he does not have any personal relationships. The only one he truly wants. And think about it. Baphomet is this embodiment of a horse's head. And... That's the only person he truly cares about. It's not a real person. Yeah, <laughs> It does say a lot about his character. It says a lot about his character. But that's another reason why I like this show. Everyone has a purpose. Characters that are just used as plot devices are still given a foundation that will shape their core identities and characterizations. And then they tuck them away until they are needed to help with a story element. That's why I'm, I was really going back and forth with this one because the only mechanics i had problems with like we alluded to was the whereabout stuff the but that wasn't a, a character problem necessarily that was a writing problem i i almost feel like he wasn't originally going to play a part in this episode it feels like an afterthought hey how are we going to get them fighting how are we going to really utilize this whole undead thing? Because we can't have them just walk around the house. There's no payoff with them walking around the house and then suddenly coming to the realization that they need to eat Niles's head. It would feel very lackluster. So they needed to create a scenario where they would start fighting, you know, zombie fighting. And that's why they added the where, but because it gave them a way out. But I don't necessarily consider that a character issue necessarily. Yeah. It feels strictly writing. And yes, character development is a part of the writing, but I'm talking more about the mechanics rather than the creation of character. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's start delving into some of these story elements here. 
Uh, for the most part, things were relatively simple as the focus was the comedic aspect of the of the show. Uh, but we can say that we were right about Vic and Silas, as you had mentioned, Dave. Yeah. We find out that Silas could have used a prototype synthetic skin for Vic, but chose not to. We are not really sure why he chose not to. We can assume he just wanted to make his son into a weapon because his excuse was it was highly experimental. And then Vic said, opposed to this highly experimental cyborg body you gave me. So there was some contradiction there in his excuse, which then signals to us, the audience, that that's exactly all it was, was an excuse and that there's more to it than simply it was a prototype synthetic skin that was highly experimental. Now, I'm not 100% certain still that Silas is a bad guy. I know Paul was pretty adamant about it because bad in a situation like this is entirely subjective. He's morally challenged for sure. Yes. With a character like, like this, it is hard to say sometimes because morals are subjective. His, well, his actions, whatever they may be, could very well be morally synced with a greater purpose, yeah, a greater need or greater good. And who's to say that's bad? No one can. But this supposed greater good, however, could be really shitty for Cyborg. Exactly. So the thing we can say for certain is that Silas is a shitty father. Absolutely. That's what I'm thinking too, because like, especially since his reaction to being confronted by Vic, where, Silas was uh, acted legitimately offended that Vic would say that, you know, he's holding something back from right. And he would do this intentionally to him. And he legitimately looked like he was offended by that. But when he came out and said about like the whole synthetic technology, and just like you said, he brought up the fact that, well, it was experimental. So he wasn't sure. He wasn't sure about that, but he was sure about the stuff that he was going to implant in his son. Right. I can see Silas, the the character of Silas Stone may not be a villain, but he's a. He's very morally ambiguous, morally ambiguous and morally confused because like unless his moral principles are based on, as I said, a greater need. Exactly. If he feels in his mind that the world needed Cyborg, then in his mind, he's justified. Yeah. And and that, the thing is, that might not be very believable to people, but that is actually a real thing in psychology. Yeah. It's, it's partly narcissism. And also philosophy. Yeah. Where you where a person's morals are based on something that they believe is a higher good. Mm-hmm. So whatever what whatever contradicts that, that is something that they will never do, even if it might be actually better than their what they're what they're fighting for. Yeah. Another thing we can say about Silas is that he's very and this is something we can say for sure. He's very emotionally manipulative. Yes, he is. He does manipulate his son. Just every word he says, he manipulates him either. And I don't get the vibe that it's for manipulation of any kind is is not great, but I don't get the idea. He's malicious. Yeah. I feel like he just has a serious character flaw and his character flaw. One of many includes being manipulative. 
He's what I'd call a sophist, someone who makes bad arguments seem good through clever reasoning and fallacious argument. That's well, that's what he does. Every well, time he talks to his own son, it's like he's convincing him that, hey, this is this is good. This is good for you. Well, think about this way. The main sticking point, why Silas was so against Vic interacting with Niles was because Niles was introducing things that honestly were good, morally good to Vic, but they were contradicting what what, uh, Silas wanted Vic to learn. Right. And that, that just shows a person that basically has a bit of egoism. Yeah. In it, so that's one of the, that that leads to his character flaws. You said something. It was either you or Paul. I think it was you about what Silas wanted for wanted for, for Vic for Vic. So when Vic was an a, an athlete, you know, I, we know this from comic books, of course, and it seems like they are using similar things. His dad wasn't very into him because no. his dad's not an an athletic type of guy. He's a no. scientist. It was his mom that was actually, when you take a look at it, especially with the last uh, episode, mm-hmm. his mom was more actually into the athletic stuff, right. the, the hiking, that the, the more physical labor stuff that Vic was into. Yeah. And that might be part of the reason why, you know, Silas has a way now to force his son in a way to do things the way he would want his son to do them. Hey, look, look the, the, those days are over with sports. Now you can be what I would want you to be. You can be involved in the world of science. In fact, hey, I'm going to use you in my science, science experience. experience. Experiments, I should say. All right, so we'll see what happens with that. It's definitely going down a path that's sad. And I still stand by the fact that Silas is probably going to be involved with the whole Ronnie situation. I think so. Yeah. Actually, the the craziest part after this, I was like thinking to myself, what if Silas was actually involved with the Department of Normalcy? I don't know. It's hard to say because him and Niles are friends for a reason. You know, Niles has his own issues, very questionable actions, and Silas does the exact same thing. They, when two people are friends, there's a reason why they're two, they're friends. Yeah. Even if they're colleagues, there's a reason why you're colleagues. colleagues. They're probably cut from the same cloth. So Jane wanted closure with Niles and she was able to get it in a very strange way. This show really knows how to take a sentimental moment and make you laugh. And yet it still works as it should. Niles sacrificing his last bit of connection to the living to save the Doom Patrol was a nice way to send the character off. I will say that in a lot of ways. This allows the writers, in fact, not in a lot of ways, it does without a doubt. What it does is it allows the, it allowed, it allowed the writers to give Niles his redemption. Niles was able to redeem himself by telling them to eat me. (laughs) That was his last bit. He tried to give them something. That's why he said he pleaded. I can save them. When Willoughby was going to leave them. Was going to leave them. And if you think about it, even even towards the end, I, the, Niles is very protective of the Doom Patrol because when he told when he t- tells Jane that he loves her, that yeah. is very telling. The guy realizes that he has made serious mistakes. He also made mistakes 
went before he knew these people, which doesn't make it any better, but he did these things to them before he knew who they were. Yes. And he has tried to make up for that ever since. Yeah. For decades. And he has developed close relationships with all of them. Oh, yeah. Especially Jane. Especially the one telling thing also with that was like when Calder tells uh, Madame Rouge that she needs to leave because Niles knows how dangerous she is around the team Mm -hmm. and makes Madame Rouge promise to leave. And of course, you know, Madame Rouge is confused, but she goes along with it. But that moment too. I don't think, did you think she was confused? Obviously she's confused, but do you think also it comes off that because she has no memories of who she is, that she's afraid that she might be someone bad because she wants to be someone good. Yes. That's uh, that what is, I think. That is amazing story ingredients right there for and a character. And N- Niles automatically says, Niles is like super protective of the team and tells her, tells her, no, you need to leave. Yeah, that was, and, that was pretty powerful. And that basically, that's why I say this episode, the very end is like a really great culmination of wrapping up Niles's relationship with Jane. I would say even team. a story. And his story to the point where we don't, you know, we dreaded this moment Yeah, that it was coming, but the end of the Timothy Dalton actually being in Doom Patrol. Yeah. And this makes sense why he's not in Doom Patrol anymore. Although, you know, I still hope that, yes, he's dead. This is also Doom Patrol. They can. This is Doom Patrol. <laughs> and I'm sorry, if he's dead, that means he's a ghost inside of Doom Manor, in my opinion. Then. Well, he said <laughs> his body needed to be burned so he can fully rest. So I'm assuming if they were to do that to his body and get rid of it, then he can't exist as a ghost. Oh, no. You you might be right there. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. But you have touched, you touched on something that was probably the heart of the, the mystery of this episode. Uh, a big part of the mystery this episode of this episode revolves around yet again, Rita. Yes. Uh, Rita finds out that she is connected to Madame Rouge. Is it Rouge or Rouge? Rouge. Rouge. He's connected to Madame Rouge in some way. We are not 100% positive who pushed Rita back into the room to die still. It seemed like a lot, all things were pointing to Rouge. But then during the last few minutes of the episode in the video that Rouge was watching, Rita was also present. So whatever is happening seems to be a big mystery to everyone except maybe Niles. Niles, I would say, knew who she was and despised her. So she must have done something bad, so much so that Niles didn't want to even talk to her. And the whole sisterhood of the Dada is very telling. And we will get into what that is after our final thoughts. And then we go to a break. We come back because it could be considered spoilers. Heavy spoilers. Heavy spoilers. So we'll hold off on that. However, there does seem to be a bigger story at work here. I I think it's a lot bigger than simply Madame Rouge trance, you know, shapeshifted into Rita and pushed Rita into the room to die. Yeah. It seems like someone's pulling her strings. Someone wants her to do certain things. Well, especially since that whole scene where... It also you creates know, some issues because the Gargak, the Gargakuax, what's his name? Garga, uh, I can't even Garguax. Garguax. Um, I mean, he was after Rita, yep. and 
we think maybe Rita might have been Madame Rouge. So there's a there's some mystery going on here, which I think is really cool because I don't think we've had that. No. Yeah, in this show, something this intricate. Plus, we know that Rita is not under any con- any control because when uh, Madame un- Rouge shows uh, under uh, or under anyone's influence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Because like once she sees the time travel vehicle, that scene was telling because now remember this whole time in seasons one and two, Rita has been trying to be a hero. Yeah. That's her, that's her goal. This is the first time, first time ever we see Rita do something kind of morally, morally questionable when she sabotages the time travel vehicle. Well, I think she was doing it because is it morally questionable? I I think she knows that there's something going on with this woman and she needed her to stay. She saw the emblem. Out. She yeah. saw the emblem, and that's how she. But the 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 interesting thing is that's how she reacts, though she doesn't immediately tell the team. Well, because I think she takes she, it upon herself to actually, yeah, sabotage it and keep it a secret. Do you think she did that because she is um, unconfident with her abilities to snuff something out? Like, what's going on here? Is she's not? Is she afraid that? She's the one who did something because she doesn't know that Madame Rouge can shapeshift, right? Yes. She doesn't so know for that. all she knows, she thinks she's a time traveler that killed herself. Exactly. So she's nervous and scared and she probably wants to do some investigating. Before. And you see how much, how, how much this changes the character of Rita? Yeah. <laughs> because like this took Rita to a next level. From like, oh, she's just there to be the, be the leader, be the, be the, you know, wannabe hero to she's the centralized myth arc now. What the hell is going yeah, on with Rita? They are going to be, they're leveling her up this year. She has a oh, lot absolutely. greater purpose. And now, speaking of time travel stuff, that scene with Cliff was so funny. I love that when he learned that time travel existed, he never <laughs> thought once of fixing a mistake he made. No, he was dead set on stupid things like revenge. Revenge. <laughs> I know. Not like, hey, let, he wants to go back in time and enact vengeance on Niles, I believe. Yes. But not go back and prevent Niles from killing him. Killing him or changing the accident. <laughs> and I'm like going, man, this every single episode, they keep showing how relatable and real Cliff is. Because I kid you not, I wish Paul was here. Because yeah. remember... Last episode, Paul went gaga about how Cliff reacts to everything and how <laughs> relatable it is. I'm like, going, out of all of, uh, if we went around the room and actually asked if we were Cliff and we had the time machine, what's the first thing we would actually my think life. of? No, no, no. I want revenge on Kyle, <laughs> on Niles. And that's why for, for those people out there, David, that listen to the Rain Man show, which is my regular kind of talk show. It's just like I have a stupid show. We just act dumb. Uh, Tony, your brother, who's one of the co-hosts on Rain Man. Oh, my God. I remember that time bit. Machine. Yes. And we, he doesn't have a time machine. In our bit, he has a, we call it, and I don't use this word loosely or very often, but for Tony's purposes, it has to be used. He has what we call a retarded time machine. A retarded time where machine. Where he goes back in time and changes the stupidest of stupidest. Yes. yes. I remember that. And I'm like, going, and the scary part, Mike? I actually thought about that when I saw <laughs> That's the, the first thing clip. I thought about. Like, this is something and, Tony would do. And I'm like going, oh, my God. This is what every normal, or this is what a human would do. And that's what made Cliff so awesome. He is yeah. so human. 
because no, 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 no. I don't want to do the grander things. No, I want to do things that are personal to me. Yeah. All right. So last but not least, Larry is pregnant. I'm assuming, right? <laughs> I'm glad we got to this. I mean, because, morning sickness. He's throwing up, and then dude, he has a lump on his belly. I got, I got, a, I got bugged by Paul, and he was asking me about this, and he was this like, is going, "What we were talking about, right? Yes." Where we said, "Okay, this could be something they're doing." I think we said it during the spoiler section. We said that in the comic book, the, the negative spirit when he. It does leave Larry at yes. one point in the comic book run, and he does that, or they do that, in order to produce offspring to mate. Offspring, yes. So here it is. We were right on track with <laughs> this getting, one. We're getting pregnant Larry Trainer, which I am very psyched about because the story of Larry Trainer at this point is going to get really cool. It could get if they even touch. 10% of what the story of negative man was in the, in the comics about his gender. And, you know, I'm going to throw this phrase out there, Mike, and I know this is like a red flag for you, but gender politics, the story of Larry Trainer and gender politics was masterfully done in the comics. I know. I know. I hear they can do it. I hope they, they do. do. It. I hope they do because I, I don't want people thinking I'm against gender politics. I think gender politics are very important. It's just a red Um, flag that basically gets everyone upset. (laughs) Well, it's because it's become divisive, but that's also because everything has become divisive in this country, but I'm not against gender politics. I am all for it. As long as it's not pandering, if it feels like a legitimate part of your story and is written with smarts and intelligence and you have a positive, I don't want to say not even positive, but just a, a, strong social message to convey then by all means right away and i will trust carver with that type of duty because carver is a pretty fucking progressive guy yes and he has written things look at this show this show dabbles not dabbles it it dives headfirst into very Sometimes controversial if you're looking at it through a conservative lens, but it's definitely delving into a lot of social issues. Yes. And on top of that, you know, this really does make the energy spirit within Larry. It gives it so much more character because it was willing to leave Larry behind. Well, now it makes sense why Larry's alive, too, because we said, well, why is Larry alive? We already know that if the negative spirit leaves him, he's going to die eventually. Well, the thing that's probably keeping him alive is the fact that he's pregnant. He's pregnant. And also it explains <laughs> why the negative, pregnant. why the negative spirit basically couldn't probably inhabit Larry at this point. Yeah. Because if there's another energy spirit inside of Larry, there's no room for two. Can you imagine if the negative spirit came back and Larry actually stayed dead? And he's like, you son of a bitch. I left you for freaking 30 <laughs> minutes and you're in hell. Exactly. <laughs> With my child. With my child. How dare you, sir? <laughs> All right. So let's get into our final thoughts. And then after that, we'll take a quick break and come back for some spoiler stuff. Dave, go ahead and start us off. Uh, my final thoughts really quick. I'm, this is the one episode that took a dip, but it was, it took a dip solely because of, for me, mechanics. Like the writing just seemed off today, uh, this or today, it seemed off in this episode. And me and you talked about it off the air and 
this could be related to something that if people who are familiar with Carver, this is something that he kind of does from time to time where he loves throwing ideas out there and he throws so many ideas out there and then he drops it. But that's because he wanted to just use it as a piece for his story and just leave it behind, you know, <laughs> and it doesn't make him a bad writer. It just confuses the it audience confuses sometimes, the audience sometimes yeah. because he, you're bombarding the audience with too many things and making him really confused. Now, to be fair, Carver didn't actually write this specific episode, but he is the showrunner He's and the showrunner. everything falls back on his. Yeah, because at the end of the day, he is. Yeah, yeah, he's the head of the writers' room at least. He has to be. So the score for this one went a little down. I gave this one an eighty-nine. I loved everything else. Everything else was fantastic. It was just the mechanics of the story that just kind of irked me a little bit. Yeah. No, I agree. I'm giving this episode eighty-seven percent, and that's also sheerly. Due to the mechanics of the episode, there was just a few problems here and there. And I will save the audience from hearing my my thoughts on that again. But outside of that, the episode was really well done. Yes. From almost every aspect. The comedy stuff was great. The zombie stuff was great. All of it worked. We learned a lot about our characters. We learned about some big aspects, some big myth arc aspects. So it'll be interesting to see where the story goes from here. All right, let's go to a quick break. And then when we get back, we will jump into the sisterhood of Dada. Chief said his enemies were coming for him. Don't worry. We got this. Free stuff is awesome, but free stuff that will spice up your bedroom is even better. Just go to adamandeve.com and select almost any one item for 50% off, and then we'll load on the free stuff. Just enter this very exclusive code, RAINMAN, at checkout, and you'll get 10 tantalizing free gifts, including a sexy item for him, a special toy for her, and a third item you'll both enjoy. And six extra special bonus items that are sure to rev your engine, pique your curiosity, Mm. and even blow you away. Plus, free shipping. Always sent in discreet packaging. Go to adamandeve.com now. Get 50% off plus the 10 free gifts when you enter the exclusive offer code RAINMAN. Again, that's RAINMAN. Because without it, no free stuff. That's RAINMAN at adamandeve.com. Welcome back, everyone. If you are not cool with hearing potential spoilers, it's potential. Although I will warn you that this is one of those potentials that are probably going to be factual in the next couple episodes here. So let's talk about the sisterhood of Dada. Number one, this is a gender swapped version of the DC of the actual source material version. Yes. Uh, In the source material. They are the Brotherhood of Dada. Now, this is the part that can be considered spoilerific. They are a group of supervillains appearing in comic books published by DC Comics, of course. And here's the important part. Enemies of the Doom Patrol. Yes. The Brotherhood is devoted to all things absurd and bizarre, taking their name from the Dada art movement. Though they would be considered villains by most definitions, and this is the part I love. 
It's all about that subjective morality. The group does not recognize concepts of good and evil, hence the decision to rename themselves. So they are an offshoot of the Brotherhood, Brotherhood of, of evil. evil. Yes. So it'll be quite fun to see what they do with this. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, because you're more of the Doom Patrol yeah. being when it comes to comic books. I believe you've read literally everything out there for Doom Patrol. Yes. My reading is extensive but limited compared when compared to yours. Are they almost like the opposites of the Doom Patrol? Kind of. Is there like a robot man version, a Rita version? Am I remembering it wrong? Kind of, because you got to understand that basically this team of the Brotherhood of Dada was actually founded by Mr. Nobody. And which means we're probably going to get him back too. Hopefully. I'm hoping. Well, I think he wasn't, I think he was in the season trailer. And and if I Mr. Believe. Nobody comes back, then that is actually really cool because the Brotherhood of or the He's Brotherhood the of Dada of is the leader, and okay. the Brotherhood of Dada is in the painting in the comics. The way that it happens is that painting that Mr. Nobody is trapped in, the Brotherhood of Dada is trapped in there with him, and that when when they break out of when they break out of the painting, the Brotherhood and Mr. Nobody fight the uh, Doom Patrol. The the Brotherhood of Dada is kind of like, it was really difficult to explain it, especially at the time when it first come, came out, because what happened was, I believe it was uh, Grant Morrison who created the Brotherhood of Dada. He wanted to create a supervillain team that was just so outlandish that they could never use it in normal comics in, in DC, in the DC universe. Hence why you get things like the exclamation man <laughs> so ridiculous, <laughs> or agent exclamation. I think it's yeah. agent exclamation and you have, uh, I believe it's sleepwalk <laughs> who has, this, who has vast amounts of strength only when they're sleepwalking. <laughs> and like you have those things right there that basically, Morrison wanted to make a perfect foil for the Doom Patrol. Okay. That makes sense. That, that was the whole that was the whole point of the Brotherhood of Dada because originally the classic Doom Patrol was Brotherhood of Evil. You know, floating brain in a in a jar and, and a giant gorilla. Yeah. Well, Morrison basically said, okay, this new version of the Doom Patrol that he was working on, he's not gonna he's not gonna delve into that. So he created the Brotherhood of Dada. Okay. And he wanted he wanted them to legitimately be kind of like what you said, the opposites of the Doom Patrol. So each member kind of had like their own uh, strange quirk. Okay. Well, there's your spoilers for this episode, listeners out there. This does bring us to the end of our discussion. I want to remind everyone to please head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Rayman Digital and pledge. Um, five dollars or more will gain will give you access to our podcast here where we do additional discussions every single month. There are all types of things already there within the library that you will gain access to the moment you subscribe. And when you do that, it doesn't just help you. Of course, you get more content, but it helps us as well. It, it justifies a lot of cost spending and it helps us stay on the air. And without Patreon, 
we probably wouldn't be doing these shows. So we do need that assistance. Patreon.com slash Rayman Digital. Thank you, David. Thank you. Thank God that's solved. Mint juleps. 